What's up and welcome to the Active Amputee Podcast. Everything people with a limb difference need to live an active and exciting lifestyle. I'm Bjorn Eser, the founder of and shaker and maker behind the Active Amputee. And you're listening to episode number 13. And today I have the pleasure of talking with the always incredible Adenike Oyetunde from Lagos in Nigeria. Unfortunately, we had some problems with the connection during our interview. And as a result, the sound quality of this show is not as good as you normally expected from the Active Amputee podcast. But please bear with us, enjoy the show and without further ado, let's go over to Adenike in Lagos. I'm very happy today to meet uh, after ages again with Adenike in Lagos, Nigeria. Adenike is, uh, she's very hard to describe. She's so many things. She's, she's a cancer survivor. She's in Buffalo amputee. I think she's a TED speaker. She has a law degree. She has a radio show. She's so many different things. Adenike, welcome on the show. I'm really happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been a long time coming, and um, I genuinely apologize for taking this long. And, no worries. Um, I'm here, so let's yeah. do it. I, I just said it's, it's very hard to describe you. If you introduce yourself to others, how do you introduce yourself? Because you're so many different things. <laughs> oh, wow. How do I introduce myself? Um, I think that I usually will start from by saying that I love food, so I'm a foodie. <laughs> and I would always say that I am a, a person who has a persevering spirit. I am a highly, highly optimistic person. That is I what's love, needed love, these love, times. Love. Yes. I, I love, love, love stories and um, experiences about humanity. And, um, you know, I may, you know, to, to the core of who it is that I am, I'm a person who is driven greatly by gratitude who's really good by giving and who really loves, love, loves, I love life. So yeah, I just think that that's some nice sweet as that I am. So yeah. That sounds very nice, especially the part about being optimistic, enjoying uh, <laughs> narratives and human stories. Yeah. And believing in the good in people. Great. Adenike, you were one of the first people I approached back in spring 2017 when I just started the blog, The Active Amputee, because I've seen one or two of your pictures somewhere and thought, I don't know her yet, but I want to get to know her. Adenike, you're an above knee amputee. Can you tell us a bit more about your story? Sure. Okay, so um, my story, um, well, climax in 2006 on the 4th of February. And um, prior to that, what had happened was I had gone home for the weekend to spend some time with my parents from college. And I was in my sophomore year, I was in my second year, a lot undergrad. And um, for whatever it is worth, they had been having epileptic power supply. And just as I was about stepping out of the house, the electricity company restored power. And because they had not had good power supply for a few days, they had run out of all their water, including the ones that they had stored up in barrels. So when the power was restored, I decided to help them by filling the barrels that they had emptied. And um, in my attempt at taking the very last bucket, I tripped and then I fell. 
And um, I remember so vividly because my father was in the living room with a guest and both of them heard me scream because as I landed, I had landed on a knee that had been giving me issues. And what I mean by issues had been prior to that, a few months prior to that, I had been feeling occasional pains in that knee and I didn't know what it was. So um, imagine that I had barely not even gotten the knee back to where it was, where, you know, there was no pain. And then I fell and then landed on the same knee. So I literally did scream really loudly. So my father and his friend rushed to me to, you know, make an attempt at getting me or helping me, or at least knowing what, what had happened. So they saw me on the floor and then um, eventually did give me an logistic, which is my dad. And um, remember I said I was about to set out for school. It was a Sunday and of course lectures were going to continue on Monday. So I had to get back to school and I had to go um, take public transportation to school. So this happened on a Sunday and I went back to school on a Sunday and I did remember calling home to say, oh, you guys, I've gotten to school safely and all of that. But between Sunday and Thursday, I do not have any memories of what happened in between. All I remember is that by Thursday morning, I noticed I couldn't get out of bed to start mm. to prepare myself for my lectures. So um, my, my, homemates, my roommates actually thought I was joking, but I had a friend who had a car in school and every Thursday would always give me a ride to school. And my roommate knew that um, by 9 a.m. I was ready and literally just waiting for my friend to give me a ride. But she noticed that I wasn't getting out of bed and I didn't even pay much attention to it at that point because I just figured maybe I don't know what's going on with my leg, but I can't get out of bed. So a ride that was literally supposed to have taken me to school, my friend had to carry me in his arms and then bring me back to Lagos, um, which was many kilometers from where school was. So from then on, um, I had to see the doctors the very next day and I went to see a surgeon and, you know, I was told that I had to have some x-rays done and all and all and that fall had precipitated a trauma of some sort. And because of the fall, the trauma, um, I needed to do a blood drainage. So I had done that and, you know, it was, of course it was hurtful. It was this, it was that. And I went back to school. I was getting better, but then suddenly I started to deteriorate again. And um, it became even more obvious that I needed to go back to the hospital. So my father came to me from school and then we went back to the hospital. And this time they had claimed that the drainage wasn't um, fully done the first time. So we had to do it again. So I did it again. And, you know, same old circle. After a while, I went back to school. And, you know, this second time, it really was getting really, really bad. So the doctors at the hospital now said they were going to refer me to an orthopedic hospital because according to them, I was not responding um, to treatment as far and as best as they thought I should have. So they referred me to the National Orthopedic Hospital located here in Lagos. And um, when I did go there eventually, after a few biopsies, a few tests here and there, blood scans and all of that, um, the result came out to say that I had osteogenic sarcoma, literally cancer in my bone. And it started from the four points, which was my knee. And that the only way out was an amputation. So from that first diagnosis through a second diagnosis, and then trying to move, you know, trying to see if we could do holistic um, treatments here and there, but I just kept deteriorating and it was getting worse. Eventually, I found myself at the University College Hospital in Ibadan. And you know, the, it was there that I had the amputation done and then you know, the courses of chemotherapy 
and um, basically i think that's just that surmises my limb loss um, story you know as succinctly as it possibly can be thank you for sharing and obviously a story that resonates with me i'm an osteosarcoma survivor myself it allows us to bond easily i think yes. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you were just talking about uh, your friends and your family and others who help you. What does it mean for you in, um, in terms of having a community around you when you go through these tough times back then with the initial diagnosis? But also, I mean, it's been, what, 12, 13, 14 years since you lost your leg. What does it mean having a community around you, some you know, people who support you, who, people who stand by your side and uh, help you get through the tough times? Okay, what it means around me is um, it means a lot of mental strength to me. And it also means literally beyond the you know, regular rhetoric of support, it means that I have people who are there for me, people who have now evolved into also understanding my journey of vulnerability and my journey of you know, asking for help. This is me who would never easily ask to be helped you know, from the get-go, but watching me evolve into this person who has owned the journey, my support system has expanded beyond my immediate family because for starters, I have just that for me, a very, very small nuclear family, just mom, dad, and myself. Mm. I have no siblings. But what has happened through the years is I have seen people who are not related by blood, but who have stood with me and by me through this journey. And um, a lot of them are not even blood relatives, but people who have chosen for whatever reasons, you know, people who have been gratuitous towards and have looked for an opportunity to, you know, pay back that, you know, that gesture people who are just taking a liking for me for whatever reasons, people who have read story, my story and um, resonate with them possibly because they themselves, um, that journey, or they themselves have lost a loved one to the fight against cancer. So the support has been enormous. The support has been wide. There's been people from, you know, within my community, my state of residence, my country of residence, to even people like yourself who are, you know, outside, who share similar stories or people who, for whatever reason, seen my picture, you know, read a story about me, seen me somewhere else. The support has been enormous. And what that thing has, what it has done for me mentally is it has shown me the capacity that I have in terms of the richness of people that I have and this I have been able to translate into many things you know I have a non-profit and if we have a gathering of some sort there's one person who is great you know gracious enough to want to take pictures for free there's one person who is gracious enough to want to give us free t-shirts there's one person who wants to give us some um, finger food so the support has been really really tremendous and what I have noticed that it helps to do is it usually will help especially in an environment like ours that isn't so um, adaptive to persons living with disability and amputees as my case is. So it's beautiful to see people do it. It's also beautiful when governments, you know, at several levels, you know, take into cognizance the need to be supportive of persons living with disability. Say the local, um, because here in in Nigeria, we have three tiers of government. We have, you know, the local, the federal, the state, and the federal government. And there's so much more that can be done. But um, the truth is, I found out that a lot of things that we expect that government will do, 
a lot of individuals and a few corporate organizations are stepping into that space and are mm. doing it. So I think that the support has just been beautiful. It can be a lot more, especially when you look at it from the corporate standpoint or from the government standpoint, but on the individual level, it's been truly, truly, you know, beautiful. I for one have support from almost everyone around me, you know, relationship, um, church, um, business, place of work, um, where I stay, for instance, and it's beautiful, beautiful, which is why it's always easy for me to pay it forward and just, you know, also extend that hand of support to some other mm. persons. You were just saying, okay, you think for you yourself, you're somehow dealing okay with it. You have a nice uh, supportive surroundings. But you also mentioned that in, in the country in general, many people are not that lucky for various reasons. Yeah. What would you say are some of the main challenges that other amputees or people with limb differences with disabilities face in Nigeria on many different levels? Um, the basic and the fundamental um, problem or challenge has always been accessibility. And accessibility extends to many things, but I'll start with accessibility to spaces, you know, um, public spaces, for instance, if you even want to say that private residences or private property is property owned by individuals who can determine who they want to give access to. But for public um, places, it's still, a, it's still a hassle. Yes, we have a law that was signed by the president in 2000. 18 or 2019, I can't remember the year now. And beyond the rhetoric of paperwork, you see that, especially if you live with disability, you will see that it just feels like once that was done, it felt like there was a, there was a list of things that needed to be done and that was ticked. And one of the other problems that I noticed that this, you know, this space is saddled with is the fact that we have way too many pockets of associations of persons living with disability. So it's like, where were we? There's so many of us here, there's none of us. So I feel very strongly that until we ourselves can have a united voice to you know, even converse for what it is that we want, for instance, we just feel that the fight that we, we fight on different levels we fight in different pockets and it just feels that yeah even where the fight is you know synonymous to be seeing successes a lot more can be done if we're united as one so that's on the part of the peers persons living with disability and the pockets of associations that we have on the part of um the government again i will say that you know the law says that if you have a facility everybody is allowed access to the facility if you know if for any reason you discriminate against persons living with disability or live difference in this conversation you find out that the law stipulates fines between you and i i do not know any organization that has paid any fine yet and that's because if we look at the state law for instance I had to sue the you know, Department of Disability to, you know, to court last year and for whatever it is worth, because you know what to sue government agencies, department or you know, whatever, it takes like, it's a Herculean task. They're saddled with the COVID this year. Unfortunately, the judge had to be transferred. So it literally means that this case has to be reassigned to another judge. But I feel like, you know, with why I did that on the state level is because their law says that, yes, you, you can actually be sued, but in the law, it's stipulated very clearly that the only body that has the prerogative of suing 
um, it has to be done through the Office of Disability, which has to spell out its rules for engagement. And at the time when I had sued, there had been no spelled out rules for engagement. So if it was basically, you, there's a law in place, the rules of engagement are not clearly spelled out. So how does an individual like myself or an association where I belong, you know, get you know, things remedied where we find a corporate organization who is defaulting. So, you know, the challenge of access has always been one of the biggest challenges. Even access to health care for persons living with disability, access to public transportation is such a hassle. It is a terrible thing, um, I, and I do not take it for granted. I know I am fortunate enough, even when I didn't own a car of my own, I knew that I was fortunate enough to have people who could pick me up or drop me off because the reality about it is, is car hailing services will cost you a lot if you want to use it. And the question is, for a country where, where statistics show that the average person lives under $2, you know, the reality is how much are people willing to spend on cab hailing? And though the state government have, um, they, they have their special buses, but the question is, for instance, where I stay before I get out of my apartment in, you know, to the estate gate, and then from the estate gate to, that leads to the expressway, that, that's what we call it here. You guys, I don't know what you call it in your country, but the expressway, there's a, there's a long commute. And the question is, the government has not factored in how to move people from door to door to where they would get on the buses that they have created that have special places for persons like ourselves. Mm, yeah. So though the conversation has started, a lot more can be done. <music> Biggest challenge again is for people who are desirous of getting prosthetic limbs. It is so expensive anywhere in the world. It is really expensive. And because we do not have health care as an everyday and everywhere business, it is really people literally have to do pay out of pocket. Mm. And paying out of pocket for a prosthetic limb is so, so expensive. The very first prosthetic limb that I got, no, the second one or third one that I got that was made outside of this country cost me $21,000. This was yeah. in 2009. And we had to pay out of pocket. So imagine how terrible. Right now, one of the, the, the prosthetic limb that my prosthetist in Houston is saying that he would be desirous of me to wear is going to cost me $45,000. So it's, you know, having to pay for it is so expensive. Now, there are people, there are prosthetists in Nigeria who import this part uh, and put them together and they cost less. Um, but the truth about it, and my worry is, because I do not have the luxury of owning more than one prosthetic limb per time, I cannot afford to give that opportunity a shot because of my fear that what if it doesn't go right? What happens to my money? So how about I rather just go to a place where I'm certain that they would do it rather than just paying $6,000 to someone or $7,000 to someone here who says they can do something for me you know, um, way less than $21,000. So even the cost of paying for prosthetic limbs is one of the biggest problems that people have. Um, that's and because we don't get it also at subsidized rates, you know, for whatever it is yeah. worth. I don't think the government finds it um, legitimate enough for them to venture into that space. And it is a very, very, very capital intensive 
business if individuals want to get into it. So um, I think that those are the basic and you know, fundamental issues or challenges that amputees or people with limb differences face. And I'm using myself and a few other persons around me as the yardstick for you know, mentioning these. Yeah, yeah. These are quite a lot of challenges, as you mentioned, on all different levels. And I can imagine how, how daunting it must be for, for people who are probably not that well informed, not that well connected, not a, that well off financially, and who just you know, think, what, what does it mean for the rest of my life? the life of my children. I know you also um, engaged in uh, several civil society groups which try to raise awareness um, about disability issues, which uh, try to lobby and advocate for better access, uh, better provisions. Uh, what have been some of the most, let's say, rewarding experiences around this kind of work where you say wow i know i put a lot in but this is also giving me something back yeah okay so um last year when i started my own non-profit amputees united i remember that one of the concerns that i had was nobody was paying a lot of attention to the mental um and emotional well-being of persons with limb differences and one of my key areas that i was very certain that we needed to focus on was that and it's gratifying to me to see people who have never stepped out of their home since they lost their limb to come into a gathering with persons like themselves who look as different as they do physically and who can connect with their story of shame, their story of disillusionment, of lack of connection, of depression, of suicidal thoughts. And it's beautiful for me to see persons like that, you know, you know, call back to say, oh, because we attended this event, I've been able to sit, put my thoughts together. I would like to do this. I'd like to do that. We've connected a few people um, with, you know, mental health um, providers, you know, and I remember one, uh, one of our very last gatherings before the whole lockdown thing happened. The young one of us, a young guy, said he wanted to do computer programming and he didn't have a laptop. Um, we were able to raise some money through a friend and we got him a laptop. We connected him with another amputee who was who was into programming. And it was beautiful for them to give me feedback, you know, from his family to say, this is what this young man has been up to. This is how far this man has gone. And I think till date, that has been one of the most gratifying things, you know, as Amputees United is concerned. As Irede Foundation is concerned, I think that one thing that just breaks my heart in schmitheries and positively is when I see you know children stand on there or stand up and can walk and see a whole fa you know see families break down in tears and say you know never wanted to ever think they'll be able to afford a prosthetic limb and you know seeing their child stand again is such an exhilarating experience for me as an individual and it is an experience that just pushes me on because it, like you mentioned it's a really really daunting task to do these things and it just feels like the burden is overwhelming but with the pockets of successes you know in these two instances that i mentioned are things that we would always go back to in our quiet time and just you know get re-energized when we remember the stories stories of hope stories of resilience 
I remember somebody saying that the child couldn't go back to school any longer. You know, having to tell a family that, look, you need to amputate this child's limb because this child has been this way for five, six years. And you guys need to move on in your life. You as a caregiver who is a mother, your life has literally just been revolving around this child. So the sooner you amputate this child's leg and allow this child to start to adapt into a new type of life, the better it is for every single person. I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful, accelerating experience for me as an individual to see that though it's a hard reality and it's a hard conversation that a lot of people may not have been able to tell the family, but when they see persons like myself who are living the lives that they're, you know, they're dependent, will now start living, it gives them a form of peace and a form of assurance that, okay, if so-and-so persons can do it with a little push and a little direction, and a little feels of fallings here and there, this child will be fine. I think that those are the moments where just, you know, I'm overwhelmed with joy. I'm like, okay, you guys, you don't have to take 10 years to realize that this is this. And the other interesting thing, though unpopular, is the conversation of not needing um, prosthetic limbs. So as a person, last I wore a prosthetic limb was like three years ago, and I just got tired mentally. And I'm at a place where, I'm raising funds, literally, to get a new one. And when I'm ready, I know that I'll say, okay, you guys, I'm ready to do it. But what I have found out is that not every amputee wants and should get a prosthetic limb. But a lot of people don't even understand. And I found out that for people, I also realized that until they get one, go through that process of owning one, then they don't get to understand what that journey of owning one is. So when you, when you share with them the experience of, I have had it, and I don't think that everyone needs it from the onset of their, you know, post-amputation. So evolve into that person who is certain that they want to use it because, and again, it costs a whole lot for families to acquire one here. So imagine where families have to use all of their funds to get a prosthetic limb, but then six months down the line, the amputee wakes up one day and says, I no longer want it. Everybody in the family is going to be completely devastated. So I always say to them that if a family comes together and sees where their resources are and determine that, you know, if, for instance, the family is worth in all that they have, maybe $15,000, personally, I don't see a reason why they should take $10,000 to get a prosthetic ring. I will say give yourself a one-year, one-and-a-half program. Start a business for this person. Let the person start to earn some of their profits and then plow it back into getting a prosthetic ring. Do not use your capital to get the prosthetic because at the end of getting the prosthetic name one week down the line there you are in your house fifteen thousand dollars gone down the line and you're looking at the prosthetic name and you're feeling deflated because you're wondering okay so what next for persons like myself who are really you know high above me i always say you know having a prosthetic name is it helps you to move. It helps you to do certain things, but it can never be like your natural ruling. It is never like your natural ruling. And somehow we sell this idea of perfection of how your life will go back to, no, your life doesn't go back to normal because now there are a few adjustments. You need to know that, okay, if I'm going to do this, before there were no restrictions when you had your natural ruling. So now, though that you, there, there might not be restrictions per se, but there are things that you may have to do in certain ways, especially now that you own a prosthetic limb. And that's the reality that a lot of fresh amputees are not being told, especially for people who want to sell them the idea of acquiring a prosthetic limb as soon as possible. So yeah, I talk a lot. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anika, that, that's what a podcast is all about. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great. I, I really like that because I think it's also a challenging idea and uh, also one for, for many people, especially in the West with, let's say, a rather cotton-cushioned uh, 
health system around us, um, very often we don't have to think about. Even if we think, okay, it could be better, there could be provisions for running legs or something, very often we're quite well provided with, with the initial day-to-day leg and also on a regular base. Um, but, but I think it's, it's really important what you say um, to really make these decisions in an informed way. When you become an amputee, you don't really know what it means to make informed decisions because you can't compare how is crutch walking against a prosthesis, a well-fitting prosthesis against a not well-fitting one. And I think it goes so much hand in hand with also the whole coming to terms with the situation, accepting it, but also building the confidence. Am I more confident walking nicely, confidently on crutches as compared Mm. to maybe not confident on a prosthesis or the other way around? And I think there's so many things where you say, I think it's important to really say, make an informed decision, take your time. Don't be steamrolled by people who want to sell something. And at the same time, at the same time, explore options of if I want to go down a certain road, who can be of help, who can be of financial help, who can give me advice, who can help me with mental acceptance issues, with, with um, emotional issues, and really yeah, see it as a, as a long journey, which, which, <laughs> which needs to be taken one day at a time. You mentioned earlier where you said uh, in the beginning you you as a young independent woman uh, at college getting your first degree or second degree I don't even know um, where you said it, it was a learning journey for you to be in a position where you say I need help but I'm also willing to accept help and to always find this balance where you have your stubborn days where you said no I'll do it all alone and even if I fall three times I'm gonna get up four times uh-huh. and then, Mm-hmm. And then the days when you say, no, today it's okay, not just to accept help, to actively ask for help. And I think that's important also mm. to send that message because through social media, and so we always get this, the strong people with their strong minds and everything mm-hmm. will be mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. and the limit is the sky. But to paint a realistic picture mm-hmm. to say, you never do it alone. You need a support network. Mm-hmm. Even if you're the strongest person in the world, you need to find your your sources of strength within you and in the, in the community around you. And I think that's such an important mm-hmm. message you send out there. Adelika, I know you also wrote a, a book some time back. Um, what's, what's the book called? Yes. The book is actually self-titled. It is Adeni Care. Um, that's what it is. Predominantly my memoir, uh, you know, sharing all the journey from then, you know, being born up until the whole, at least up until 2018, you know, when I had put the script together. So it's a book that talks on a lot of things. I had shared earlier about how I'm a person who's reaching people. So I have a vast network of people. So it's a book on friendship, a book on relationship, a book on God you know, which is a personal journey for me, a book on um, gratitude, a book on giving. So it's a book on many things. And I'd always say that I believe that not because I wrote the book, but because I'm a person who loves to read autobiographies and biographies and, you know, real life adaptation of books, of movies and all of that. I think that it's a book that keeps, gives you a glimpse into the life of what it means to be an acquired person living with disability because I wasn't born with disability. So, yeah, and it's on Amazon. So anyone who is interested, you know, can just pick up a copy. 
It's um, Adenike. A D E N I K E. Yes, that's my first. And name. So, and yeah. I make sh- I make sure I put a link in the in the show notes. When you sat down to, or when you made the decision to write the book, um, who did you have in mind? Was it mainly that you said, "Well, I need time for myself to reflect about my journey," or did you have a special audience in mind where you said, "Oh, I think for this kind of people, for this group, that should be a cool book. That should be an enriching book." Um, to be very frank, I do not have one one category of persons in mind. I think that the book applies to almost everyone. And why I say this is, I feel very strongly that in the book I touched on what it means to be a caregiver to a person living with special needs. And for a lot of people, that is a journey that they don't even know that they're in especially when the persons living with special needs are not immediate family. But a lot of us have them as colleagues. A lot of us have them as neighbors. A lot of them have them as friends to a friend. A lot of us have them as partners and spouses, which is why the book touches on um, all of these things. So I didn't have one category of individuals in mind. I have a category of everyone. It's a book that I believe very strongly every single person can read. Oh, that sounds good. I should probably pick it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Adenike, um, 2020 has been a challenging year for many of us in many different ways, but it's soon coming to an end. Any exciting plans from your end? What, what's, what's the future holding for you? What are you planning? What do you hope will be happening over the next couple of months and years? Okay, so with the um, non-profits, my desire is that finally we'll be able to have one-on-one set, paid one-on-one sessions for persons to see and speak with therapists because it's been a really challenging year. That's something I'm very optimistic will happen in the next few months. Um, and that's on the nonprofit side. On a personal note, um, I've had such a turbulent year. Um, you know, um, let's see if I can go on vacation sometime soon. I'm healing from, you know, post-surgery. So I'm very excited to be resuming um, you know, physical activity again. I'm hopefully going to go back on radio. I've missed working on radio. So I'm really optimistic that there will be a radio station here in Lagos who is willing to pay me what I'm worth and not stress me. <laughs> I'm taking it uh, one day as it comes. That's good. I think at the moment, that's probably the only uh, practical approach to life around us with all the uncertainties. And I have the feeling you, you're one who actually embraces uncertainties and says, that's just the way it is and let's make the best out of it. Yeah, yeah Adenike, you were mentioning um, non, non-profits quite a few times. Let's probably just make it a bit more explicit. Which are the one or two non non-profits which you have in mind when you talk okay so i have um the, the amputees united initiative is one and then the irede foundation um which is the then i-r-e-d-e foundation on instagram so what the irede foundation does is we provide feelings for children from when we meet them till they're 18 and we've been doing this for a few years now and provided a whole lot and touched on a a lot of families. So because the children that we'll deal with, we realize that a lot of people come and they're above the 18 year mark. So we never send them away. Um, Somehow we have a rich network of people. So um, we have also sister nonprofits. Um, Some are gender 
affiliated, some rather provide for women. Um, we don't have, there's none that provide specifically for men, but there's, there are more that provide specifically for women. And these two foundations are very dear to my heart because, like I mentioned, the Amputees United initiative is primarily to create a safe haven for persons like myself, and the Radio Foundation has gone beyond even just creating physical and prosthetic names, so also factoring caregivers, something that um, a lot of people never used to consider because the caregivers are themselves very, 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 very important in the whole conversation. And without paying more attention to them, um, and I believe very strongly that these two nonprofits are super duper 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 going to do amazing things in the next few months. <laughs> yeah, and we're probably going to follow it on, on Instagram and on their homepages. Great. Adenik, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Before we cut off, um, if people want to know more about you and your work, where can they find you? Okay, so on, on I have a website. I, I will try to, but for the easiest reach is at Adenike Oyetunde on Instagram. On Twitter is at Denike Oyetunde. And on Instagram is at Amputees United Initiative. So, yeah. Cool. I'm pretty sure some people are going to check it out because they want to learn, learn more about you and your work. Great. Thank you very much. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the new episodes. And I would really appreciate it if you leave me a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to learn more about The Active Amputee, make sure to head over to www.theactiveamputee.org where you find hundreds of articles from amputees for amputees. Articles filled with inspiration, information and encouragement to be active and live a rewarding life. I see you all again for the next episode. Until then, all the best. This is Bjorn from The Active Amputee.